for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found check Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, We make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. All right, I am blue. You are bright and shiny in my mind. You got me loving, hating, crazy indecision in my mind. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blisey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, and we are back with another episode. Great episode. Love this episode. And uh, today is episode number 93, I believe. We're getting up there. We are getting up there. We're almost to 100. What are we going to do for the 100th episode? Do you have any idea? Uh, I don't. Maybe I'll want to farm by then. <laughs> Maybe you will. Maybe you should get on that because the 100th episode is going to happen here soon. I like, know. Like in seven episodes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But if you own a farm, that'd be great. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Well, maybe you should get on that so then in three years I can come hunt with you then and pay you back off your land. Yeah, maybe. That'd be great. I think we <laughs> I think we really should I think we should really start looking forward to that because I'm going to start putting in my points and you know, you've got big shoes to fill though. Big shoes yeah, to fill. Yeah, no, you're right. I I, I need to buy <laughs> I need to buy land because you're going to have to hunt again somewhere in 3 years. Exactly. I'm going to have to <laughs> piggyback off someone else. <laughs> oh man. I can no, tell you this. Uh, if you own land and I'm going to come hunt with you, I'm coming out a couple times in the summer. We're going to film it. We're going to drink some beers. We're going to do some podcasts. And we're going to set up stands. I'm going to help you. It's going to be hotter than the hinges of Haiti out there because I know it oh, is. Yeah, yeah it And sucks. it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to suck, but it's going to be fun. I mean, that's the old Joel Burham. Uh, I think that's that should be Joel's next T-shirt, Embrace the Suck. or that should be ours don't give it to joel that should be ours yeah screw that joel i retract that (laughs) that statement joel don't steal that (laughs) no it's i I really am though like we're gonna get into it here and i I text you or talked to you earlier today on the phone but uh, i found out uh last week that i do not have to move to idaho and uh this is the new focus is trying to find trying to find my little 
my little piece of dirt here in Iowa. So that's that's kind of where things are looking for the winter. And I'm excited, number one, because uh, it's going to open up a lot of doors for me come shed season. And I'll be able to know what deer are left on these properties that are for sale, what's wintering there. And uh, just another factor in the buying process that I'm really excited about. Yeah, you definitely dropped that bomb on me today yeah. when you said you're, you and Allie were going to buy land. And I'm like, oh, whoa, wait a second. Whoop. It's That's almost as exciting as having a kid, as buying land in Iowa, I would think. I think it's more exciting. <sighs> I, mean, I got a pretty <laughs> great kid. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> no, I know. It's, I don't know. It's the equivalent for me, I guess. I guess uh, since you don't have any kids. Yeah, we just we got the dogs. I mean, they the way I see it, they they all we have three dogs. They they all need about thirty three point three 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 acres apiece to run on. <laughs> Tell them to start forking over money for the property too. I mean, they live there. They they don't pay any bills. Yeah, I just gotta tell my wife to stop buying toys for them, and we'll be all set. There you go. Well, don't have a kid then, because it's gonna get much worse. I know. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, before we keep blabbering down that rabbit hole, but I hope you do buy land so I can come piggyback and uh, kill a deer off your land. That'd be great. Just just get after that, would you? Yeah, just that'd be great. Thanks. <laughs> Today, yeah, I was saying that we got an exciting podcast we do. It's uh, with Jake Elinger from Michigan, Southern Michigan. I've had him on a couple times, actually, before you were the co-host. It was uh, episodes 19 and 20, I believe. Go and listen to those if you guys have not because those have some a lot of valuable information on those. He's a habitat guy. He owns his habitat. His, ooh, wow, wow, sure. He owns his own habitat consulting company, and he actually came up here and helped me on my one-acre piece and did some hinge cutting like two years ago, and I – I believe in what Jake's doing because I can see it firsthand with everything that he's done and helped me with. And I've seen it come full, full circle now. And I just love having him on. I love talking to him. I, you know, he's, he's awesome. He, he tells me I can text him and call him whenever he wants. And I appreciate that because I got a lot of questions all the time and I probably blow up his phone too much, <laughs> but, uh, he's a good dude to talk to and he's very knowledgeable. He's been doing it for, I think he said this is his 20th year, didn't he? Uh, yeah, I think, I think he did say 20, what kind of 20 years, what what took me back was when he said he has well over a thousand clients, I was like, holy cow, like that's awesome for him. Yeah, He I gets just, around. It's incredible yeah. that there's that many people that seek him out from all over the country. And that's great though, too, because, you know, guys like you and I, we love the habitat and the off season work of it. And I'm glad that like catching on. You know, and more people want to do that and make their ground better than when they found it, you know, and that's, that's awesome. Not only for deer hunting, but for all different types of wildlife, you know, not only, I mean, just for the birds and the beavers and, you know, whatever might call that thing home, it's going to help all of that. And that's, that's what excites me a lot too. No, it is. It's, you're not just raising deer, you know, you're, you're improving habitat for all kinds of critters and it's it's just part of the process and you know you, you the thing is is like a lot of the deer that we hunt all compete for the same resources you know the same food um you know turkeys eat a lot of the same hard mass that deer eat you know but deer don't eat grasshoppers and inchworms so you know it's 
you plant oak trees for the deer and you're also feeding turkeys. Um, it's just one of those things where one hand washes the other and, you know, you, you see, a, you see more of a result large scale than, than you do, you know, just specifically to deer. So it's, it's, it's rewarding for sure. It is, you know, in the one acre farm, I, I drive by it every morning when I'm taking Peyton to daycare, my daughter, and it's right on the way. It's pretty convenient, to be honest with you. I drive by it, and, you know, when we when I first started hunting this ground, it it you would never see any turkeys out there, hardly any turkeys at all. And now I see turkeys every morning, you know, and they're starting to be more visible. Not just now, but like last year, I started seeing couple more and a couple more and a couple more now this year i'm starting to see like a flock of turkeys and that's that's i'm not gonna say from what i did on the one acre really helped them but what i'm saying is like they're starting to come back for some reason and you know you don't see a lot of turkeys in that area but now you are or now i am at least anyway and i'm excited to be able to go in there and and try to hunt some turkeys this year because i've always wanted to but it's now. It's never one of those things where you see turkeys out there every day or every other day, and at least enough to be like, I need to go chase them. Now it's gotten to the point where it's like, there's enough out there. I want to go chase them this spring. So I'm pretty excited yeah. about that too. No, that that is cool because it's you just see the result. Like I, like I said a second ago, it's like it's it's not just deer anymore. And you've just said firsthand. You went from seeing a few turkeys to some that now you know you can hunt and not do any damage to. So that's that's really awesome. And mm-hmm. one, you know, one thing I'll point out, uh, you know, when you talk about your one acre, just to put this in perspective for listeners, one acre is only seventy yards by seventy yards. So it's a seventy-yard square. So I mean, you can literally yep. shoot from one side to the other, no matter what side you're on. So I mean you're not you're yep, not missing it, much and you're 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 holding deer in there now. It, it's crazy too, and I, I'm gonna start posting some pictures from the last couple years here on Instagram. I need to figure out I need I need to get them gather them, but I've got a series of pictures of bucks that are, you know, good three year old deer and four year old deer that call this thing home, and I, I I'm gonna start doing this off season a little more. Uh, video on it and start putting it on YouTube and everything so people can actually really see like see it you know and and it's something I've been using on base map and something I told you is probably my favorite feature on base map is the ability to you know line out different yardages and that's how I did my food plots this year too is you know i went on the phone there and i i I put my points in and it told me how many acres a certain piece was and then i can evaluate how much seed i need from there but also i went in there and i I outlined the timber for the one acre i call it the one acre but it's actually 0.8 acres it's not even a one acre (laughs) it's like just shy (laughs) you know what i mean and it's you when we went in there and hinge cut like Jake could tell you too, like we hinge cut a lot of trees. Like when you drive by it now, if I'm sitting in a tree stand in it, I'm sitting, I'm, I'm sticking out like a turd in a punch bowl. Now, <laughs> now, now look at that. When you go up to a punch, uh, a bowl of punch, if there's a turd in it, you can see it really well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's me. Yeah. You're not going to, that's it. me out there. Yeah. Yep. 
so there's not a lot of trees still standing out there, but the ones that are on the ground, when you get in and you actually stand in it, it's crazy how thick it is and how much food for wildlife is in there. It's it's pretty pretty cool and pretty unique and I really really enjoy going out there every time to see it. You know, it's it's one of those things that's like, you know, I did this and Jake helped a lot too. Yeah, like he was he was the he was the the front runner in all all this the ringleader. So I I I can't thank him enough for helping me out. So Yeah, I can I can see why. I mean just just hearing you talk about it, I, I've never seen it myself. I've never been up to your property there, so it's all I know is is what all of our listeners know. So it's it's kind of nice to hear you speak so highly of it as a result of you know his influence. So I'm uh, I'm anxious to pick his brain because obviously I said I'm in the market for land and um, I'm in the very beginning stages of just trying to figure out you know what's right and. Uh, obviously what I can afford, but you know, what the right piece of ground is going to be for that price. And, um, I don't know. It's just, like I said, very beginning stages and at least, uh, you know, get some information from him to help, you know, put, to put in the bank and kind of work off of and just keep in the back of my mind as we get into this a little bit more over the winter. Yep. But, uh, for sure. I, and this is the best I, time to do it, man. The next couple months. Yeah. No, that's, that's kind of what my, my, I don't know, my intention is or my thought process is it's everything looks the same right now as it will in November. So, I mean, I can get out there and see right now what, what the timber is going to look like, you know, what the what the CRP looks like, what you know what I mean? Just just see what those vantage points are. And at this point, you know, you can kind of see the the deer trail is pretty good. I don't know. It's it's It seems, I don't know, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> It seems obvious, I guess, to think about it that way, but right. it's like it's like you're starting all over again. You know, I've I've, I've done my my homework on the public land, and I've I've had great luck with that. But uh, I don't know, not not having to leave or move again. I just it's time. I want my own. Yeah, I I'd I'd be in the same boat you are. Like I'd want my own to also. I I want to forewarn everybody right now before we do get into this is you know get your pad of paper and your pen out because you're, you're going to need to take some 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 notes here. Oh, yeah, so it's, no it's something joking. you're <laughs> <laughs> i'm ready i mean i was I, I listened to the other podcast when he was on those episode 19 and 20 i think you said it was but i mean i've i've got my i'm ready for sure let's kick it over to this interview with jake then and and uh everybody's probably wanting to turn us off so let's kick it over there and uh let jake take the stage here all right, we are back today with another great podcast and with one of my favorite guests. And Jake, before we get into this, I do want to share something with you. You know, we did a I did a podcast with you probably a year and a half ago, and to this day, it is still the most downloaded podcast that I have. And it was uh, the one about your scent control and um, some some habitat stuff that we did. But to this day, people are still downloading that like crazy. Every day, I get those that episode gets downloaded like crazy and it's still the number one episode. So congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, I'm glad I could help you be number one. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's I good. To, that means people are uh, paying attention and trying to learn. That's yeah. Great. Yep. So, and, yeah. and you know, I had to listen to the analytics a little bit too. And, and Justin and I wanted to get you on here because, you know, we'll get into the podcast too. He's in the market for some property and he's been hunting public land out there in Iowa 
And, uh, you know, we're winding down. The season's almost over here, and I really want to get you on to, to get everybody's juices flowing and the ball rolling for them and their habitat process for the next oh, year and, and leading it. Because I know your busy season is about ready to amp up here real quick. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, and personally, I'm, you know, I sit there in those stands during the fall and say, God, I didn't get this done. I need to get that done this year. You know, so I'm, I'm going to take advantage of every free, uh, day or two or weekend I have between now and March here on my own farm. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of travel that's about to start happening in my life again, but that's okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so before we get too far, can you, I, I've introduced you on the podcast before, but can you give us a brief introduction for everybody that maybe didn't listen to that podcast and, uh, you know, and everybody like the new listeners coming in, just kind of tell who you are and, and what you do. Sure. Yes. So, yeah, you know, I have a uh, habitat and consulting uh, business, Habitat Solutions 360 LLC. Um, I help landowners and hunters develop long-term plans to increase their hunting success, uh, su- uh, success uh, the holding capacity of their property, and to reach their goals, whatever those are. Because some people's goals are a lot different than mine and yours. Uh, but in a nutshell, um, I do a very detailed uh assessment of their property and then turn that into a uh, develop a really nice habitat plan for them along with a work list and supply a bunch of information to help them along the way with a bunch of how-to information and videos and powerpoint presentations that i hand off to them at the end of the day so been doing it it'll be 20 years here coming up uh, in january i'll celebrate 20 years in this habitat business so uh, yeah it's just been a great ride and uh, living the dream you are living the dream, man, and you're having a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly am. You know, and to reiterate on, you know, the information part that you said that you deliver to everyone, I, I just want to say from firsthand perspective, I had Jake come out. Jake, was it was two winters ago, I believe? Two winters yes, came out. You was. came up, up to my property and, and basically did a consult, and, and we spent the day hinge cutting in the one acre. And, you know, you gave me a – a booklet that has, and I still got it. I got it right in front of me right here that has a ton of information in it and valuable information. I still look at that thing quite a bit. You know, if, if I ever have a question and I feel like I'm bugging you, if I, if I text you too much, I go to that and it's there. And I really like that. And the way that you assessed, and now I only have one acre, so <laughs> it wasn't that much of an assessment, but the way that you turned things around really helped me out. And I've got trail cam pictures and history now with two years of hunting seasons to back up your work. And now I have not killed anything in there yet, but the age structure and the caliber of bucks that are living in one acre that I have is just unbelievable. And nobody would believe me unless I showed them, you know, the pictures and I've got them all. So, you know, I, yeah, I, you know, that's awesome. I'm very humbling to hear that, but you know, that's always my goal is to, you know, you were very uh, precise with here's what you've been through. Here's your uh, here's your, your schedule that's hard to hunt around. And, and you list, you know, and here's what's going on with the neighbors. So so you gave me a lot of information to work with. We went in there we walked around. I mean, you, you know what happened, all the different places we looked at. And I tried to get you pointed in the right direction. And it sounds like it's it's working. So, man, that's that's awesome. Yep. You know, congrats. And, yes. And thank you very much to you again. I, I mean, I can't thank you enough. Um, but I, I, I do have to say one of the main things that you really opened my eyes to was 
I had to change up the way I hunted quite a bit. Oh yeah. Um, and yep. that was number one. And I think people going forward and I try to reiterate a little bit on uh, some other podcast, Justin and I will have a conversations about it is sometimes you gotta check your ego at the door kind of thing maybe, and just really sit back and evaluate what you're doing as a hunter. If you're not having the success that you want and then really figure out what you're, you might be doing wrong. And you kind of opened my eyes to that. And you told me flat out, you can't hunt this that much. You literally can't. You got to go in at the right times and attack once the conditions are right. And that's what I did. And I've had some success, not in the killing aspect, but the success in, you know, holding the deer, getting close to deer and having one acre be the hottest one acre in the block, to be honest with you. And that, you know, that right there is a real testament because, you know, an acre is small and, uh, you know, bucks and does, they all got competition for room and habitat. And the fact that you're holding them and you're getting pictures and you know they're there, I mean, that says a lot. And uh, and there's no doubt that one of the biggest obstacles I have with most of the people I work with is having that conversation about how they have to change how they hunt. <laughs> a lot of people don't want to hear that. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, yep. and it's, and, uh, it's, it's something that you definitely, <clears throat> like I said, got to just step back and evaluate because you're just – you know, to a lot of people, you're a guy coming in and you don't want to be that guy that's like, well, you really have to change this. And, you know, to a lot of big strapping men, <laughs> you know, that you can't oh, really yeah. tell a lot of them yeah. anything, you know, you, you just kind of, oh, yeah. I mean, that just, that kind of comes, that ego comes with us hunters and, yeah, and, uh, you know, we think we've seen it and done it all and know it all and, you know, had a lot of experiences and, and a lot of people have had some, some very good hunting experiences, but I just try to put all the pieces together so they can work it out on their own at their own pace and, and become successful. Yep. Well, very good. And, and like I said, I can't thank you enough for doing that. And I, yeah. I, I will tell you this winter, I am getting down there to your place so we can go through it. I want to see it. And we're going to do another podcast down there so we can, I got to get down there and see your place. Cause you have a Mecca down there. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very nice. Um, the deer really love it here. That's for sure. They really do. So, yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. I want to I want to kick this off first. I'm gonna put Justin on the spot, and I want him to start with his questions that he had for you because he f- actually dropped a bomb on me today that he was actually looking for land to buy him and his wife. So I'm excited to hear what he's got to say and and what he has to ask you. So Justin, I'm gonna give you the floor here. Yeah, it kind of was a bomb. I mean, I only just recently found out I don't need to relocate to uh, Idaho. So. I've always joked on the podcast before with Aaron that, you know, I love deer hunting, but I don't love it for $5,000 an acre. <laughs> I've I've done really well on public land here the last two years. I've I've been successful two years in a row, and um, it, it's been a lot of fun. I just, like, you know, like, like you guys, I want something that I can develop and kind of put some, some sweat equity into, you know, and, and start kind of getting to know my deer and choose what to, what to shoot and what not to and, you know, just, just see what I can do to to finally have my own little, my own little piece, you know, but, uh, in my mind right now where I'm at is trying to decide on, you know, what's realistic for me, uh, both from a cost standpoint, but also what I can expect to get for that cost. And I'm not, I'm not looking Southern Iowa. I'm not looking for prime tillable in Decatur County. I mean, that's that $5,000 stuff. Um, you know, my, my wife works at Iowa state. She's up in Ames. It's about a 45 minute drive for her one way as it is right now. And, uh, there's some really great river ground up there 
you know, that'll give her about a 15 minute drive to work. And, uh, you know, being in a floodplain and, you know, some of that river ground is, has some mature trees along it. I mean, that's, that's where you find most of the timber throughout Iowa is in those wet spots. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn down, you know, the right 40 acre piece. Um, I know that I know what that can produce if it's the right, the right kind of ground, but, um, oh, sure at can. the same time, it's like, you know, I'd, I'd love to have that, that hundred acre track too, that would give me some room to stretch my legs and, you know, uh, have a little more room to work with. But, um, you know, because that's kind of where I'm at is just trying to, trying to see what's out there and find the right answer and uh, make sure I hit that price point. But um, I'm not afraid of CRP. I'm not afraid of cedar thickets. I, like I said, that river ground, if it's, yeah, if it's the right spot, then, I mean, I'm, I'm perfectly happy on a 40 too. So, so you know, you've got a lot of, uh, you're going to have some boots on the ground. You're probably going to look at a lot of places and, and which is always good. You know, you want to see what's available and, you know, what's going on in the market and that type of thing. And, uh, I mean, yep. you know, you've been out there hunting and you've been successful on public land. And, uh, you know, I've done not a lot, but I've done my share of work in, uh, all throughout the state of Iowa. And I've, I've worked on some really neat, long properties that were only maybe two or 300 yards deep off of a river. But it might be a mile yep. of river bottom, you know. And, yep. uh, you know, there's, there's uh, fantastic things that come with that because of the river and the timber and, the, and it's a deer artery. But, you know heavy rains and lots of snow like we've had the last couple of years have turned into flooding and, and uh, you know, issues for certain landowners that never expected that, you know? So uh, you always want to keep your eyes open for those potential situations. You know, what's the drainage is like, you know, what's the chance, you know, how often does it flood that type of thing. And um, one of the things, one of the pieces of advice I give anybody that asks me a question when they're looking for property is find out everything you can about the soil. Okay. You know, and, and that's, that's, you know, you're, you're going to have a hard time finding poor soil in Iowa, even though it does. I've seen some gravelly soils in Iowa before, but, uh, you know, you don't want, you don't want Sandy, you know, you want something you can grow, uh, you know, everything from early successional growth to growing good food plots. And, and that's going to, yep. you know, express itself through the quality of the deer in Iowa. And that, you know, what more do we need to say? I, that's the land of the giants, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if they can, if they can make it to five and six years old, it's just amazing uh, what they turn into. So they got so there's a lot of great things from soil fertility and productivity and and all those things going on. So I think yeah. you know if you're just a uh, you know you start looking for an equal uh, balance of some cover and some timber and some open tillable, and then you know think about well how do I access this? You know how can I get in here? Uh, where do I park, you know, and a lot of that's all fixable. It just takes time, but you'll never know that until you, you know, until you see that piece of property that you're interested in, you get out there and you start walking around. But, um, you know, sometimes it makes a little more sense to go. Maybe you find that one that's a little lower price, doesn't have as much timber, but has all this potential. I mean, you know, uh, I don't know if you've heard any of the podcasts I did with, Aaron a while back but you know I've spent 30 nearly 40 years developing a property you know and now if you were to walk in here and look at it you'd never believe that at one time you know this 30 acres of incredible habitat was a wide open field 
Yeah. You know, I plant, I planted yeah, 99% of the trees there, you know, in the CRP yeah. and everything else. So you can do yep. anything just given time, you know. Yep. Now, Jake, I got a question for you. When you are looking for a new piece of ground, you know, if you you personally were going to try to, to, to buy a new piece, you know, whatever, how big it is or, you know, whatever, if you find the piece, what... What are you looking for more? Are you looking for first access to that ground or are you looking at like the surrounding areas? You know, what would be your number one and two things that you're looking for before you even consider buying it? You know, uh, there's no doubt you want to look at the general area and uh, if you, you know, I, the ideal, okay, you know, that the, the perfect list is large property landowners that surround you, not a bunch of 10 and 20 and 30 acres, okay? Because that means you just got more and more bad actors to deal with. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it comes a deer hunting, it seems to bring it out. Uh, but, uh, you know, you're looking for, for, you know, the least amount of landowners touching you. And, uh, you know, these long, narrow properties, as good as they are, they become more of a pass-through. They don't have a core that you can hold deer in, you know, and that sort of thing. So the size and the shape of the property uh, is something can, to consider when you look at the, you know, whatever your topography is. Okay. Um, I worked with a guy a couple, three years ago, 40 acres, wasn't Southern Iowa, man, it was nice. I mean, it really was nice. And, and he was killing some real good bucks in there and he had some difficult access spots, but the bottom line was, I mean, compared to here in Michigan, it's just amazing what that guy was able to to uh, see and kill in there every year because, hey, it's Iowa, you know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's 200 uh, on every corner. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, oh. know, uh, you know, you might want to consider access definitely. And, uh, you know, the more you can learn about the neighbors and, you know, uh, if you can uh, – I've got anybody local you can talk to that knows it well and you find out that, geez, you know, this, this group of guys all around here, just about everybody here hunts for mature bucks, that's sure better than the – you know, the three landowners that are from out of state and they're, you know, and they're from a non big buck state. So to them, man, anything 125 inches is, man, it's, that's a giant deer. So, so they're shooting all these nice yeah. young up and comers. You don't want that in your neighborhood. If you can, if you can choose and find that information out before you're, you know, signing a purchase agreement. So, right. uh, yeah, you know, and, and if you're lucky enough to get like 60 or more acres, 80 to a hundred, uh, that's going to really you know, that's really going to help because you'll be able to build some core areas in there that will hold deer and be able, literally be able to know where those deer are based on wind directions and time of the year, have them come to food or come to transition areas and, you know, getting down with a doe bedding areas and that sort of thing to make to make your your little slice of Iowa just everything you ever wanted, you know, uh, Justin. So hopefully, uh, hopefully you don't have to walk 100 properties, but you'll probably walk a few. You know, you might meet the first one and say, God, this is everything, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know that could happen, but I mean, I'm, I'm anxious to be able to do that and like see some options because, um, you know, I, I didn't own much property in New York. I only had five acres and it was mostly all my yard. And now we moved to Iowa and I live in on the South side of Des Moines, like right in the city. So, um, I mean, we're both just ready to get the heck out of here, but I don't know. It's just, it's, it's exciting you're in such a great spot. I mean, there's nothing more exciting right now than, you know, the unknown, you know, this is what you're looking for, hoping you can find. And then ultimately, 
you'll settle in on a spot and then you get to go through that that building process and getting the inventory of the deer i mean you know your future is so cool because i just love that part of it so yeah the only limiting factor for us is it's got to have a house on it like we've got to have a place to live on the property too so yeah um that's it but other than that man it's it's exciting and you know you know how the wife is you know as long as the kitchen and bathroom's livable you can get in there right and you can always tell (laughs) her yeah "Yeah, we can we can fix that yeah man the hunting's gonna be great here honey you know yep hopefully she understands your passion and, and gets it so uh no, she does, or else we wouldn't be in Iowa in the first place. <laughs> I've met uh, a handful of uh, some Michigan guys and some guys from other states that moved to Iowa, and not a one of them ever regretted it. So, uh, you know, and, and it was all about big deer, and, and they obtained their goals. So, fantastic. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm going to transition a little bit here, Jake, and I'm going to start off with the first question here. And you know, we like I said earlier in the podcast, we are getting closer to the end of the season. Um, everybody's seasons yeah. are kind of winding down. Now, what uh, you know, in the months of January, February, maybe even into March, what what do you recommend people start doing and thinking about on their farms to start capitalizing and, and getting things, you know, the ball rolling for next season? You know, is there things that they could be doing a checklist or? You know, what in your eyes, what do people need to be doing here in the next couple months? Well, you know, the, the and I, I just relate to, uh, you know, I've, I've got, you know, well over a thousand clients. And and I would say I hear from at least 25 percent of them, you know, a few times a year. So it's very cool to hear the feedback from places I've been, you know, several years ago to just one or two years ago. Uh, and then my own experience with my own property and uh, if. If we have, if the conditions are right and we have two to four inches of snow that first week of January, once the seasons are closed, I love to do postseason scouting. And that's where I can walk anywhere. I don't care if I jump bucks out of bedding areas, does. I, I don't care because they're not going to run off and get shot by the neighbors. Okay? Right. But I can learn an awful lot. I can find where their bedding areas are, uh, see the trails, you know, see where they were in the food plot. I, I, I do a lot of backtracking. I find a nice big I know it's a buck track because he's leaving drag marks in the snow and I backtrack him and kind of learn, you know, okay, he, he turned here. He, he came through this thick spot. Geez, he, he made this really funny loop over here. And, you know, you kind of look back and say, well, what was the wind last night when he was moving or, you know, however old you think the tracks are and eventually arrive at his bed and kind of look around and see why he was there. Because that first couple of weeks of January, these deer are still in what we're going to say late fall, early winter patterns. You know, if you if you try to do that in say March, now they're in a they're in a, a winter pattern, early spring pattern. It's not the same as, as the fall pattern. So I try to number one assess those that type of information. How many deer? Where are they spending their time? Where were they bedding? Um, or or you know, some of these people they do a lot of walking around. They don't find many beds at all. That means man, I got to you got to got to do a better job with your cover screening and uh you know this is a great time to start thinking about timber stand improvement everything from selective cutting to clear cutting to a combination of selecting cutting and hinge cutting or just going in and doing a a lot of hinge cutting depending on the size of your property and what you need and as you know it's so it's so detailed i could go on for hours about how to build bedding areas and the separations of sexes and all of that. But in general, 
you know, look for your cover, look for increasing your cover. And especially, you know, now that we're getting into winter, early successional growth, woody browse. Right. Once those food plots are covered up with snow, those deer got to eat. And that food's got to be at their level. And, and that's, that's a big and, success and, on my side over here. So. Yeah. And that's one thing I saw, you know, firsthand in the one acre is that woody browse, that's helped tremendously. That's like we made a food plot in there without even planting anything, you know, and you know, what you told me is, is in what I've read is, you know, woody browser make up about, about 40% of a deer's diet. Is that correct? Or am I a little off on that? No. And you know, and there's certain times of the year, uh, once you probably, when you get into that February through March, it can be 60% of a deer's diet. Yep. Just depends on the year yeah. and, and what, yeah. what's going yeah. on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, even even when there's lots of food available, it's still going to make up 30 to 40 percent of their diet. It really does. They're, they're always munching in the woods. So. Yeah. And that that's what's crazy to me is you you go knock down a tree or and you go back and, you know, if there's snow on the ground, you'll see deer tracks the next day, probably around it. And you'll see all the buds ate off or the ends of the twigs ate off, you know, and it's pretty crazy to actually see that. And and it kind of opens your eyes to, uh, you know, things that are 50 feet up in the air could you know act for a lot of food for the deer down on the ground so. yeah yeah that's sun, that sunlight getting to the ground you know not only are you taking those trees like the tree tips 50 feet down and getting them at a deer's level but you're also doing some great things for the future because now you've taken that big canopy out there's all kinds of sunlight so that's that early succession that you know the, the regen everything that's going to come up the following season and man that's that is great deer food and cover Yep. Well, and uh, also to, and I, you know, referring back to the one acre and the reason why I am is because it's, it's firsthand. I can see it all, you know, happening every year. And, you know, before we went in there and cut all that stuff, there was no grasses on the ground in that timber at all. It was all just leaves on the ground and, you know, all the stuff that's fallen off the trees. But then we went, when we went in there and cut, now that we have, you know, some of the forest floor, there is grasses all throughout the 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 one acre and they're all hip to neck height it is so tall in there and it's you know it's the the forest floor is flourishing the deer love it the trails there's crazy amounts of trails in there and i just i don't know it makes me grin every time i i think about it because it's only one acre and yeah with with a chainsaw in a day what you can do with it and like the thing i like about it is anybody can do that with this amount, the amount of ground that you have, like I have one acre, you can do that. You can go and make your one acre the best it could possibly be, you know, and you might only be holding maybe a hundred inch deer. That's a two and a half year old, but that is probably what your area is supplying to you, you know, but that, that's, what's cool. And that's, what's fun, fun for me is doing that off season work and, you know, seeing it firsthand has just oh, been, yeah. been a lot of fun. Yeah. It's uh it is so much fun, you know, making those changes and, and seeing the uh, the age class. And, and, you know, you end up actually holding more deer per square mile in that one acre because yep. you're going to concentrate deer activity, better cover, better food. Uh, yeah, and they're just in there. So yep. uh, I'm so happy for you. Yeah, so um, moving on a little bit here, I, I actually reached out, you know, once I talked to you and said, you know, let's, let's line up a time to get recorded. I reached out to some people and uh, asked – you know, on social media and everything, do you have any questions, habitat questions? And I had a guy write in and talk about his particular piece of ground. 
and I want to I want to kind of visualize it for you, and then sure. see what you would do, you know, in this instance. So he says he's got a piece of ground that's 20 acres, okay, and it's all basically if you put the first layer down, it's all CRP, and CRP the size like hip height and down, it's like it's not higher than hip height, and then the rest of it is autumn olives. So it's just bushes placed here and there, here and there. And there's about eight mature trees on the whole place. So he's been hunting it, you know, in the in certain trees that he can put a stand in, but he's been hunting it with box blinds that are raised that you can, you know, shoot a bow or a gun out of. Um, and his thing is, is he puts a lot of food in. He puts about anywhere from four to six acres of food on the property. And his thing is, is he wants to know what how how he can get deer to bed in a certain spot you know he's he does see beds in the autumn olives in in and out of them but if he wants to make a certain autumn olive little patch a bedding area how can he make that a better bedding area or just you know direct them to there instead of all around because he is bumping right. deer when he's walking in and walking out oh yeah, yeah there's nothing worse than him. i mean as great as crp is because it's it's a real good holding cover for deer. They love that grass. You said it was hip height, right? Like Yep, hip height and lower. Not, yeah. So it's not super high, but it's great for deer when they're laying down. Yep. Okay. And even yep. when they're walking, I mean, you got to realize that if it's hip height, it's up to a deer's back when he's walking or she's walking through there. But the greatest thing about autumn olive, uh, you know, many people, you know, call it an invasive species and under the right situations and it can get invasive. But on the other hand, with a little bit of mechanical work and herbicides, you can control it. Uh, but it has a natural kind of an arching habit, as you would call it. You know, the, the branches come out and a lot of times they will be about shoulder high and then they'll, they'll have a big arch and they kind of drop down if you can visualize that. Yep. Oh, and uh, so what I've done over the years is gone in in the off season with a handsaw or a chainsaw and carve out some holes and, and try to maintain those higher archways and create little spots that deer can just pop right down into, you know, right underneath. They love to get under those those arched limbs. And if he especially if he's got a cluster of, you know, if he's got multiple uh, autumn olives, maybe he's got, you know, four or five dozen clumped in places and the one thing about crp uh he should get out there this winter and really walk around he's going to find where those deer are bedding and really key into that because those deer bed there in that area because of how the wind and the conditions are i mean i've got crp here too and it's just amazing to see why deer bed where they bed but they they bed where they can get the best scent conditions and feel the safest and have escape routes and if he's got if he has some freedom to do things in that CRP, if he's not in a contract, um, geez, you know, he could plant, you know, he can plant uh, clumps of conifers. Uh, you know, he can, he can encourage those autumn olives. And, and uh, here in my CRP, I'm not supposed to have any woody growth in it. And I'm almost out of the contract. But anytime you'll, you find a, a lone tree growing in it, that's, that's just getting head high. And it's like, oh man, I got to spray it or kill it or mow it, you know, cause the contract won't let me, if I walk in there this time of the year, there'll be a deer bed right, right next to it. Really? Always, always is. Yeah. If I found a, you know, a half a dozen antlers over the years in these deer beds right next to an autumn olive that's coming up or it might be a mulberry tree or whatever it is that's coming by the birds, you know, but, uh, so if he can get some clusters of, uh, 
woody growth growing in there and then you know the uh network some some trails and then have have a, a pretty well you know mowed manicured trail that goes from that bedding area to the food and you know how lazy the deer are when you make those trails for them they just walk right down exactly <laughs> you know? yep they really do and uh, i i think you know over time he could really guide it and i don't you know i i don't know uh, you know is it a square a rectangle uh what his topography is like but he's putting in food and that's great because you know these deer love to get up close to that food and and lay in that cover and he's only got a couple three mature trees but but if he starts now i mean he can he can add a lot in the next couple of years through trees that he plants encouraging those autumn olives clearing out those openings and probably uh, create twice as much bedding for those deer in just a couple of seasons. Yep. So, and once you know where they're at, you know your hunting gets a little better. Yep, so. for sure. You know, so I, I just want to envision a little bit more. Now, you're saying if there's if it's a big enough clump of autumn olive, are you saying basically go in the middle of it and kind of clear out little areas within that? So you're almost making like a igloo, you know, or like a little fort kind of thing, and then making yeah, you're gonna. Exactly. And, you, and you'll have, you know, imagine kind of looking straight down on it and say it's a little clump that's, let's just pick, let's say it's 20 by 20 by 30 yards with, you know, 15 to 20 autumn olives that are five years old that are about 15 to 20, you know, spread out about 15 to 20 feet each. And so, you, you know, they're kind of random in there and you might be a spot that might not be centered, but why, here's a place if I trim some limbs, I can get a little opening here that's 10 feet by 30 feet. And then do cut some winding trails that, that come in from different directions that kind of like, like spokes on a wagon wheel that yep. come into that little opening. And then off on some of those spokes, before you get to that outside, pick some single autumn olives and just cut some of those limbs. Say, you know, if it's if it's a typical west wind, then you would you would bed that deer on the east side of that tree because that's what they'll do. They'll always lay on the opposite side, you know, back to the wind. And look, so what they like to do is bucks like to kind of sit out on the outside and see what's going on. And then those openings in the center will be more of your doe groups and, and you know, their fawns and, and last year's, you know, uh, females that are hanging with them. You know, it might be a group of anywhere from 6 to 11 or, or you know, something in between. So that's kind of the the, uh, the easy way to get in there and get those deer really focusing. And so he's going to have to go in there not only this time of the year, but during the growing season and knock down that those grasses where he's created an opening because, hey, the sunlight's going to come in and give them those nice openings. And I, I always spray them down with herbicide and plant uh, clover, chicory, and things like that in there. And even though it is food, it's you know it grows tall, and in the summer, everything's green. So they kind of use it as kind of a nice bed. And then, of course, they're in there in the fall during the rut and uh, bed right down in that clover and uh, it's just you know it's just very it, it's like a deer bed you know i mean it's it's soft the ground's smooth and um, i mean they take to them really really well now would you go in there and would you plant any food inside those like you know go in there and maybe you were talking about making uh you know brush hogging or mowing some trails for the deer to go to the food now would you go in there and just you know, maybe just broadcast some green source or anything just to get them to entice them a little more, or, or would you kind of steer clear of that? Well, you know, uh, without knowing the, the complete layout and what his topography is like, uh, if he's got really good food sources, uh, you know, and it's, it's, what'd you say, like five, 
four to five acres. He's, he, he's got four right? to so six cool. acres, and I do know yep. that his property's like all flat. It's basically just a flat, flat twenty acres. Okay, yep. so it's flat twenty acres, and and actually that that's probably better than it being hilly because then when it's flat, they can pretty much bet about anywhere he wants to put them. So, uh, you know, he might pick one or two of those main trails. He really wants those deer moving from that autumn olive to his food source. And not only would I mow that, you know, I'd mow it and then overseed it just before a rain with, with something annual, like, you know, a crimson clover and some rye or something like that. But you'd have a green trail. Yep. And, oh, man. You know, they just pick their way down that green trail as they approach that, that destination food source. And then uh, ideally, whether he puts a bank's blind or what he does or he picks a tree that he can get into and uh, and watch that, you know, for or, you know, when, when the time's right and uh, not only is there a group of does coming, but, you know, he, he hears a grunt, looks over, and there's a set of antlers coming across <laughs> that CRP, yep. checking, in, checking in on those girls, you know, that, that is just the best thing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, he's got a blank slate. He can, design, you know, he knows the wind, he knows the, you know, and I'm a cold front guy. And, and so, you know, I always set, I set my stands for two types of winds, and that's going to be your, your typical, you know, south, southwest winds. And then I'm also I set a lot of stands, you know, for north, northwest, and then a little bit of northeast because we we do get that from cold fronts as well. But uh, you know, I I'm a big cold front hunter, and you know, all my success comes pretty much revolving around cold fronts, and uh, you know, in high pressure. I mean, that's just it's just like clockwork. Yeah. You know, once you once you get it, get your habitat right, those deer will be there. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Uh, so it sounds like he's got a, a good opportunity to do about anything he wants. And, and, uh, you know, the thing is you want to, you want to know where those deer are bedded and you want to know where they're, they're, they're feeding. So probably a combination of some small little micro plots just to kind of hold them as they slowly stage their way towards a larger plot. And depend, depending on the season, he'll be, you know, watching that transition in between bedding and food, or he'll be, watching the food, you know, because hey, it's the time of the year that does are piling in and so are the bucks. So, yep. um, yeah, he's, he's got a cool opportunity to do some neat stuff. I just don't know what his restrictions are. If there were no restrictions, say he was able, you know, say is he, even though it's CRP, but he's not in a program, man, I'd be getting some conifers in there and, cl- you know, random plantings of conifers and little islands to cover. And my gosh, he, he could just pile deer in there. Yep, and I'll I'll have to relay that Tim too, and I I know he's a podcast listener, so um, cool. he'll definitely be able to yeah. to to hear this, and I'm sure he'll write in. He'll he he writes in quite a bit, so <laughs> oh good. Yep, yeah. so I'll have to relay the message on that. But um, to stay on autumn olives, can you what I mean? What's your what's your experience on hinge cutting them? Can you hinge cut them? You know, they tend to be a, a bit of a brittle. Uh, you know, they're a bush shrub. They don't get huge. In fact, when you run into an autumn olive that is, is quite mature, say it's in that 15, 20-year age class, and they get pretty big at the base. I mean, you know, you'll see some 6 to 8-inch diameter, and uh, I would say you're not going to have any luck hinge cutting them. But because they have this arching growth to them, you can go in there and trim those lower limbs and it's amazing how you can literally build an igloo by saving those top, those higher arching limbs and cutting the lower ones out of the way. And uh, if you ever get here, I'll show you some spots I carved out here on my own. And yeah. uh, man, I mean, they pile right into them. You know, they, 
they, they utilize the heck uh, out of the, that was that arching. But I mean, you know, it's, it's a tree shrub that, uh, you know, through birds, uh, you know, reproduces pretty good. I guess that's why some, if you have lighter, sandy, gravelly soil but with plenty of rain, you're going to have that invasiveness of autumn olive. I've got heavy clay and, and uh, no rain in the summer, so I don't have an invasive uh, autumn olive problem here. So, um, but yeah, they, they don't hinge very well. That's what you're going to find to answer that question. I got you. Okay. That makes a lot of sense just because they don't, and I haven't seen a lot of autumn olives that have gotten big in circumference either. Usually they're pretty, pretty small in circumference. So usually I feel like when you'd cut them, they'd probably just break. Yeah. And, and for whatever reason, I think they have a, they have a life cycle to them. They're going to get so big and then they just die out, you know? Uh, so, I mean, you, you can get 15 plus years out of them, but once they're that old, they're kind of, you know, they're in the, the upper stage of their life and you should be getting new ones in there. But if, if they've been around that long, you should have new shoots coming up on their own. So I got gotcha. you. Now, an- another question I have, and this is something I've been wondering about too, is, is, you know, with not a lot of cover on your property, what would be a way if you can't hinge cut? you know, with maybe you have a more mature timber or maybe it is all CRP. What are some ways to create cover if you can't hinge cut um, or if you can't make a, make a edge or a cover like that? What are some other ways that you could, you know, make some security cover? You know, um, there, uh, let's say a guy's got, he's got some open tillable, but he really doesn't have any woods. Okay. But he wants to build. He wants to build cover, and and there is, and I'll tell you, just just taking, uh, I call it an old growth field, a fallow field, and uh, actually using clethodem to kill the cool season grasses and just let your broadleaves. That'll be your pigweed and your goldenrod, and some of those weeds come up, which typically get like easy four to six feet tall. That is some quick very good cover for deer and you can get that in one season you know you can literally take an area uh, spray it light disking and you will have growth like you've never seen and there's a really cool uh video that kip adams from quality deer management did yep four or five years ago that explains that he goes he, i think he he shows a, a portion of his uh, pennsylvania farm and he talks about an old growth field and it shows what it looks like and then kind of identifies all the different attractive uh, food sources that are growing throughout the summer that deer will feed on and then the great cover and bedding that it creates, you know. So uh, there's a lot of, you know, so that's say you don't have any trees. That's a great way uh, to create cover. Uh, you know, you can get into miscanthus grass and creating some edges and screening with miscanthus grass to kind of hide your entry and things like that but that's a you know it takes the time you know it's uh that seems to be the talk these days you know there's there's a, a food plot company that just in the last two weeks that that's released you know they've got their own brand of miscanthus grass so i see it all over social media right now and i've got some experience with it and, and uh depending on your soil types that you can have great luck with it or so so luck with it you know because uh doesn't like water so if you've got clay like i've got sometimes it doesn't grow so well in the clay because it it likes it doesn't want to have wet feet right and uh you know switchgrass big blue stem you know warm season grasses uh those are great ways to create cover again takes time 
uh, three to four years, a little bit of investment. It's, it's kind of pricey seed. Um, it's not a, it's not the perfect deer cover. I see that always as kind of an accessory to having uh, a woodlot and some hinge cutting and some conifers and everything else. Okay. Uh, if you owned 400 acres and could put 200 acres in switchgrass and, and have a, a five acre conifer island in the center of it, uh, man, I'm telling you, you would, you would own all the big bucks in gun season, okay? <laughs> you know, yep. just because of the natural attraction. But if you're looking at 20 acres and say uh, seven or eight of it is hardwoods and two or three of it is wetlands, and then you've got five acres of tillable, um, you know, you don't want to take all that five and turn it into uh, warm season grasses because there's better things you can do, you know, to to attract deer, hold deer. And again, you know, you're, you're, every time you grow uh, warm season grasses, it's taking away your ability to have open areas for, you know, for food plots and, and food, you know, food is king. Exactly. <laughs> Cover's great, but, food, but food's where it's at. You know, if you don't have the food and cover, so it's a combination. But, yep. uh, and that, that was one thing I ran into this year on, on the one acre farm is that, you know, I call it the one acre, but it's, you know, it's an 80 and a 40, but, and yep. it's all, it's all tillable, which you've been there. And it was all, you know, winter wheat this last year. So when the straw got harvested and the wheat and everything, there was no food there. So luckily my brother-in-law allowed me to go in and he said, yeah, if you want to put a food plot in, um, do that. So I, I just, I did that. I went right in the field and I planted about an acre green source for the late season for right now. And, um, like I I was telling you off record, I'm going to go in there and check the cameras. I haven't checked them in almost a month now and I'm going to hopefully get in there and the cozy box blind that I got this year to shoot a bow out of and hopefully the deer are in there hammering that food source but I can say that you know during the season with all that food gone and we had a really wet year this year wet summer wet fall that the farmers couldn't get in I mean corn's still being harvested around me right now and you know, with all that still around me, I didn't have any standing crops or nothing on my farm. My deer pictures and sightings, you know, from the first week of November went to absolutely basically nothing. You know, having bucks and, and does and even fawns, yearlings, whatever it is, it went to nothing. It was it was weird. And I'm I'm sitting here scratching my head like why why you know, why why are why is there no deer around here? And I look at the barren fields around me and on the piece that I can hunt, and it's like there's no food here. They have no reason to be here right now. Even though there's yeah. cover and water, there's no food. Yeah, you know, there's no food. And, uh, boy, I mean, you know, even though it's it's fairly warm uh, these next couple of days, but we've had some real cold weather and snow. And I tell you, you know, nothing like cold and, cold and snow. And if you've got a food source and cover, then you're going to have the deer. And, uh, well, hopefully you'll be able to go in there with what you planted. I'm sure the does and fawns, and, I mean, you know, we're – we're at a time of the year when there's always a few uh, fawns that have made it to 70, 80 pounds start coming into heat right about now. So yep. it could be uh, very interesting. For you know? sure. Yeah, and that's what I'm hoping. I go in there and check Maybe my that. cameras and they're all over. <laughs> and there's, I'm hoping there's just a big old buck just ready to be to ready to be chased. And he's just, you know, sitting around hitting my food plot every day. I, I doubt yeah, that's you, the you, case, but I hope I'm, I've got high hopes. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's you've got to be optimistic because you just don't know, and you have not been back in there. And nothing beats uh, having a food source that you're not at. 
uh, for being able to capitalize this time yep. of the year. And I've stayed the heck out of there. You know, I have, believe it or not, I have, I, n- I never hunted the one acre this year at all. And for good reason, I had a Kansas and an Iowa tag that I spent a lot of time, you know, going after. So I didn't really have a pulse, uh, you know, a hand on the pulse of my farm this year to, you know, to the extent that I have had in the past, just because those were taking my, taking my, my, you know, my, my um, attention elsewhere. So, um, I, yeah, (laughs) Um, I'll give you a pass on that. uh, You know, if if I had an Iowa and a Kansas tag, (laughs) I'd I'd probably let things kind of slip me out on this farm too. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, and and I do have a question. I'm gonna be a little selfish here. And I, I got a question for you about the one acre. Now you've been there, um, and, and you've seen it and you know what it, and what it looks like and everything. Now, this last spring, I went in there and I frost seeded some clover and it came up unbelievable. It's right in the middle of it, you know, right where we made the edge and that open yeah. area right in the yep. middle. That's, yep. it came up unbelievable in there. And I, I planted all the trails and everything and, you know, the deer loved it. The, the deer bed in it, they play in it, they just yep. feel safe yep. there. And, yep. I, you know, I have a camera that stays there all year, never move it. And when I go in there, when I check it, I always have rubber gloves on and I always have either rubber boots and camo or, you know, every time. It doesn't matter. Just because that camera never moves, they're used to it, they don't care. It's right in their face all the time and I never move it. Well, that camera, by accident, has caught so much deer behavior that I've never witnessed before that a lot of people haven't witnessed because it's almost like it's in their bedroom with the door closed. If that it sounds kind of weird, but yeah. it, it you know what I mean? It's like, we're not being seen where we feel really safe in there. And I don't go in there. My question to you is, so not this last fall, but the fall before I was, you know, I was going to bow hunt. I put some stands, you know, on each point basically. And I, yeah. you know, didn't get to hunt it much really, but if you had, you know, if you had that one acre and you have it the same way I do, how are you going to hunt it? You know, how are you going to, are you going to bow hunt it? Are you going to set stands? You know, are going to hunt the edges? Like what's, what's your thoughts on it? Um, and let's just say I can't put any food plots in and the, you know, I'm, I'm kind of at the mercy of the farmers, obviously of, of the crop rotation and I, and I can't put any food in. How would you hunt that? Well, um, I would definitely bow hunt it on uh, each one of those three corners, okay? And that would be free rut, you know, based on the wind, you know, definitely uh, ideal wind, ideal conditions, you know, uh, uh, you know, high pressure or maybe even just, a, you know, a perfect southwest wind. You know, it's 22nd of October. Everything's right. So you can get, you know, you can get into the far uh, northeast corner. You can come around onto the neighbor's property or whatever, you know, slip in. Maybe there's corn over there that year or whatever. So those, you know, you always try to do the the low impact, just hunt the corners. But I would find a stand somewhere where all that activity in the center is going on. I'd put, I would put one stand in there this year, and that would be a one-day hunt when everything's ideal and you know i know with your schedule you you seldom get the chance to be able to pick that day but if you could you may have the uh pretty incredible hunt if you just go in there and you just spend all day yep 
right right in their bedroom. It's, it's pretty fun when you do it. Okay, I, I've done it enough and uh, killed enough pretty cool bucks cruising around in those bedrooms that I spent years cutting, you know, making uh, sawdust uh, to find it. Uh, pretty exhilarating having those deer right there five yards away. You know, for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and my other, my other thing is too, is I'm going to really go back and look at the last two years of pictures in, in videos that, that trail cam took. And I'm really going to analyze maybe annual patterns. And if it's, yeah. if it's something that is really showing up, cause you know, I only can really hunt the first couple weeks of October and then usually I'm, I'm, I'm gone. I can't hunt the rut. I really want to be able to hunt the rut a little bit, you know, maybe a yeah. day or two here and just to try it. Cause that's exactly where I would go. But oh, yeah. you know, if I can get that, but cold you just front, really don't have the chance. Is no, what you're saying. Yep. So, so you got to capitalize on that early season, you know, which, Hey, that that's great. You know, these, these bucks are still, you know, they're bedding all day. And if you've got a decent food source out there, you know, that you're a, a farmer plants, and the wind is right, and you can get into one of those corner stands. I mean, it could be just like what I did last year. You know, you just go into the right spot and you have the good food source and have that, that mature buck just come slandering right in. Yep. Working a licking branch and, and give you a 25-yard broadside <laughs> shot. <you know>? Yep, exactly. <laughs> yep. Now, do you think with me putting food in there may have hurt it? Like maybe the deer stage up in there or – and you know they, nah. they they don't really come out into the big food sources early because they got food in there and they got cover. I, I don't think that's hurting it. It's not big enough, you know. Uh, the thing, the the attraction is the cover. Okay, you've got cover and you've got woody brows and and I know it's it's got some kind of wet areas in there, so you're probably getting some reed canary grass. You know, now that you've opened up the canopy, you say, hey, I've got some grass that's chest high in there it's probably reed canary grass and it's getting onto the it hangs over into the hinge cuts it just creates incredible cover and so you've got everything they want plus they've got some food and that food's really important during that, that, that chasing phase when the bucks are chasing the does aren't quite ready to settle down with them yet yep because those does will pile into that thick cover and it's like oh man there's food here i don't have to go out in the open and get chased you know right and yep. that's my strategy for my farm here is i have plenty of big food plots but i put a lot in my in my bedding covers because i know the does get pushed into those covers and well you know who's right in there with them so that's when i go in and hunt them and uh but you you know you won't have that uh luxury but i certainly don't think it's not going to keep those deer from coming out to that main food source because you know deer are social animals and you know you've watched it you've hunted a lot you've seen how it is you know here come the fawns and here comes mama and here comes some young bucks and here comes some more fawns and a couple of more does and you're getting at last half an hour of daylight. Now some more mature bucks are starting to come out and, and that's just the routine in early season. So I think you can, if you did it right, you should be able to kill one of your uh, nice ones. If, if you, if you've got him betting there, that's the thing. He's got to be using it because they don't move much during that first, you know, that first couple of weeks, October, they don't travel that far from where they're betting to where they're eating. Yep. Well, and you know, I ran into that situation this year and I kind of kicked myself in the butt because I did have one of my shooters betting in there, um, on about a three to four day window, but I didn't know it because I didn't go in there and check the camera because I'm so leery about going in there and checking the camera. Yeah. Oh, I know. I don't want to, I don't want to bust the deer out of there. So my plan 
this off season is probably there's probably going to be a cell cam bought <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and you know something there i don't have sense. to go in there at all and it's just going to monitor it all the time and i know what's in there all the time and if i can if i can see that that deer's in there for get a little bit of a pattern on them then i'm going to go in there and try to capitalize i think that's about the only way i'll be able to do it yeah because i i agree with you going in there and checking it probably is nine out of ten times will booger him just enough for you not to be able to because you know he's going to discover you are in there it's going to make him a little bit nervous yeah you know that's just how they they're so sensitive at that time of the year yeah really touchy with human human odor and disturbance where you haven't normally been you know it's one thing along the the fence row where you and the farmers are they don't even give it a they don't even care but you go in there where he's bedding and he picks up your odor. That's a whole different world. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, get that cell camera in there. And when you when he's when he's firing up your phone, you're gonna have to get in there. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, I'm home. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, that would be great. Yep. Yeah. Well, cool, Jake. I, I really appreciate you coming on and doing this again. And I, I need to get oh, I, you on here again soon because I like helping you. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Uh, I need to get you on here soon again because you had a, a heck of a year and I really want to get the word out there. But I oh, need to come down there yeah. and tour your farm. Yeah, hopefully we can we can cover that. Uh, yeah, I'd love to do it this year. So I hope you can make it work. And I know your your schedule's tough, but uh, really like to would really like to share it with you and, and see what I got going here because you'll you'll love it for sure. Hey, I know you will. Yeah, we're gonna do it's, a farm tour cool. and then let's do another podcast. And we might even do a live yeah. podcast from down there and and uh, let everybody be, see the place. Be fun. So. Yeah. Well, Justin, it was, uh, hopefully your, your search for hunting ground in Iowa uh, is fruitful. Okay. And, and I want to hear so. about those, those big 180 inch deer you kill a couple <laughs> of years after you buy it. Is there well, one I'll behind you know the tree? <laughs> uh, not that I've seen, but uh, <laughs> maybe I'm looking the wrong places. Few and far between, no matter where you're at, but, but good for yeah, you. Yeah, fun. fun. Yeah, that's great. I know it doesn't doesn't take long. An hour goes by quick. But, hey, I, I appreciate uh, just having the conversation with you. And uh, good luck, Aaron. And uh, let me know if you have any luck this week. I'd love to, to see whatever you're able to kill. That'd I will. Awesome. I will. I've got the two weeks off here coming up for the holidays. And and uh, I'm going to get out in the woods. And hopefully maybe, maybe a doe or two will uh, meet their maker. So that's what I'm hoping to fill the freezer this week. So. Nothing wrong with that. I got one more to get. Yeah, I have my <laughs> quota for this property this year. So, uh, good luck. Hey, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to both of you. You too. Thanks, Jake. You too, Jake. Thank you. I am natural.